experienced something that's, uh, as all of you know, just uh, catastrophic. I, you know, the, I still remember the time when I, I, uh, I was only in first grade. That's how young I am. Uh, when I first heard that John F. Kennedy had been shot, I didn't know who he was, but for some reason, it's a moment frozen in time. And I suspect for a lot of us, the moment that you uh, first heard or first saw what was going on Tuesday moment, uh, Tuesday morning, uh, will be a moment frozen in time for you. I don't think I'll ever forget uh, that surrealistic feeling I had. My wife screamed upstairs and said, Greg, you've got to come down here. And I ran down there. And as I watched the television, uh, at that point, the two, uh, uh, World, the World Trade Center, both uh, towers were on fire and were burning. And the, the shock of it, uh, the impossibility of it, just uh, pierces your soul. It's, it's like you expect there uh, to be some Steven Spielberg credits at the end of this thing. This can't be real. This is the stuff that Hollywood's made out of. But here it is. It is real. And uh, as the day progressed and as the weeks progressed, I'm sure a lot of us have gone through a lot of gamut, uh, the full gamut of emotions uh, about this. Um, rarely in life, if ever, normally do we, do we confront such horror, uh, such shocking stuff. And for some people, the initial response is rage and anger. For others, the initial response is sadness and depression. But sometimes that sadness and depression then turns into rage and anger, and sometimes the rage and anger then turns into sadness and depression. And I don't know how you process this uh, catastrophe this last week, but I, I sort of settle into a state of numbness. Where, I, you know, it's about Thursday, I just I, I, I feel like you're going through the motions. There's just something that you feel flat about everything. It's, it's, been a, it's, been a, it's been a horrific week. I'm not going to preach on, on, on this topic, but I want to talk a little bit about warfare here. Uh, there's a quote I'd like us to just look at. Um, a lot of people are asking the question, where was God in all of this? And in fact, this morning, uh, some of you, I've, I'm told, uh, heard on, on WLTE, uh, Light Rock uh, 102, uh, I had done an interview there, and, and uh, the question, it was taped, I taped it a couple days ago, or they taped me a couple days ago, and the question was, where's God? Where's God in all of this? I, I, I heard uh, this uh, quote from a woman on, on uh, NBC News, and I don't even remember the question that was asked, but, it, but the quote just hit me, and maybe some of you have seen it. She said, Why should, who should we pray to? Who? God? God took all these wonderful people. I just have no hope. I really think that in a time like this, this uh, kind of chaotic time that we're at, where evil has just reared its ugly, ugly head in a way that uh, we normally don't see, it's so important, I believe, to keep a warfare perspective of this. And this answers this, this woman's question, or at least addresses her pain. Saints of God, you've got to know, and, and we've got to communicate it to those around us, that God is not a terrorist. Amen? God is not a terrorist. And this isn't the kind of thing that he, he plans or orchestrates. Uh, our definitive, the, the definitive revelation of God comes from the person of Jesus Christ. And what we learn about God in the person of Jesus Christ is, is, is about his infinite, uh, unsurpassable, uncompromising nature of love. And he's not about uh, terrorizing and bombing buildings. This is the kind of evil that God is against. God created a world where love was possible. 
And for love to be possible, choice has to be possible. Which means that if you're going to have the capacity for love, you have to have the capacity for its opposite, which is war. And when people align their will with God through the influence of the Holy Spirit, when they yield to God, uh, it, it produces wonderful, beautiful things. But when they resist God and push God out of their lives and, and out of their groups, uh, it, it produces terrible, terrifying things. And that's what we've seen here uh, this last week. God uses events like this. He'll use it. He's sovereign. He'll use it to His advantage. But He does not plan it. He does not orchestrate it. So if you're asking the question, where is God? Don't look for God in the eyes of the terrorist. If there's a supernatural agent you see in the eyes of the terrorist, it's that of Satan, not God. If you want to find God in this tragedy, look into the eyes of the anguished survivors and, and, and the loved ones of those uh, who have, have lost people in, in this catastrophe. God, we find in the person of Jesus Christ, dives into suffering. That's what the cross means. He's not afraid of suffering. He dives into it. Uh, he takes it upon himself and then he redeems it. Look for God in the, in, in the heart of those who are suffering through this. Look for God in, in, the, in the healing process that goes on after a catastrophe like this. Look for God in the courage of the people who rushed the building while it was still standing and lost their lives in this. Look for God in the unity that God's bringing about as a result of it. But don't look for God in the actions of the terrorists. That's the enemy stuff. God is the one who's, who's combating, combating that that entire thing. But God does use it. And, and there are positive things that will come about as a result of it. Uh, one thing is this. I, I have never in my life seen such open talk about prayer. Uh, front page of the paper, prayer and patriotism it had in, uh, in, uh, yesterday in, in, in the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Uh, there's, there's, you know, everyone's talking about prayer. And a lot of this maybe is just sort of social convenience, social propriety. People talk about prayer in times of trouble. Everyone calls upon God in the trenches. But, you know, so maybe a lot of it's shallow. But you know what? Prayer is being done. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And, uh, and, and, and we're talking about it as a nation. I think the ACLU's got to be going crazy right now. And that makes me a little bit happy. But they know better than to try to confront it. God is, is, is working here to, to bring unity in, in the church uh, and, and maybe waking us up to the reality of warfare all around us. In fact, let me say this. You know, we, we in America uh, live so much in, in, a, in an artificial oasis of uh, where we can block out of our, our lives to a large degree and block out of our minds to a large degree, at least most of the time, some of the horrendous evil in the world. And so it's easy for us to think that life is a vacation uh, and the purpose of life is to live in comfort. Um, and events like this uh, rock our world uh, because they're so real. And we here learn that the world is not, in fact, a real wonderful, nice Disneyland kind of a place. There, there is, in fact, evil in the world. And, and what the Scripture tells us is that uh, whether events like this happen or not, we need to know that there's a war that is going on, right? There's a war that is going on that uh, we need to wake up to. In our small group on Friday night, we were praying about all of this, and, and, and someone just got this kind of word. And the word was this. We are horrified, and we should be horrified, at the loss of life, the waste of life that happened uh, this last week. But if we could see into the spiritual realm, we'd see that tragedies like this are going on every day in the spiritual realm. Souls are being lost every day. 
And see, people, when they see this, this uh, catastrophe this last week, uh, they want to enlist, they want to help, they want to give blood, they want to give donations, they want to give of their time, and people are making incredible sacrifices. I, I had heard that uh, uh, just in, incredible numbers of people are calling the military saying, I want to enlist, I want to serve, I want to fight this war. And, and, and that's an appropriate response. But believers, we need to see that this warfare is not just about territories and it's not just about governmental leaders. And we need to rise up and we need to enlist. We need to get involved in the spiritual war that the Lord calls us to. Paul says that in, in Ephesians 6 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and dominions and rulers in dark places. There's a war that's going on. We don't fight this war. The war that we're called to, we don't fight with bombs and planes and weapons and soldiers. We fight this with, with truth, the truth of the Word of God, amen? We fight this battle with love. We fight this battle with peace. We fight this battle following the model of Jesus Christ, turning the other cheek. We fight this model with self-sacrificial love. But it is a warfare that all of us are called to enlist in. All of us, each and every one. It's not a battle for territories or geography or political ideology. We need governments to do that. That's not a bad thing. Romans 13 says that that's part of the role of government. But the battle that we're called to is not about flesh and blood, territories and political rulers. It's about eternal souls. Praise God. And we need the, the, the army, every person in the army, every believer in the army, and if you're a believer, you're in the army whether you know it or not, to stand up and enlist. And each of us to do our part. Wake up to the reality of the warfare that is around you. Uh, it, it, it was here before Tuesday and it will be here after Tuesday uh, and until the Lord comes back. It's a time to wake up to the reality of what's going on. But that's not what I'm going to preach about. It's a word that we need to hear, but that's not what I feel led to, to, to direct this message on. I want to talk about peace. Peace in the midst of a raging sea. Uh, Jim Winter, on Wednesday night, we had a prayer meeting here in response to the, uh, the Tuesday bombing. And, and uh, he read this passage, and it really landed with me, and it landed with a lot of people. It's, uh, it's uh, Psalms 46, verses 1 through 7 and verse 10. Listen to this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Very present. He's, he's not going to come. He's here. He's present. He's not far off. He's here. He's present. He's a very present help in trouble. And therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, and it does change, and though mountains shake, and they do shake in the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, crashing waves. Though the mountains tremble with its tumult. Selah. The word selah just means pause, reflect, consider, rest. And now it starts a new refrain. And listen to this. It is so beautiful. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. And therefore, it shall not be moved. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts, but the Lord of hosts is with us. And so the Lord says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Let's pray. You are God. You are God, and we are still. We know You are God. And now, Lord, in the midst of this grieving chaos, 
that has engulfed our nation this last week. Our prayer, Lord, is that your word would go forth and minister peace. The kind of peace that only you can give. And in giving peace, Lord, give strength and give motivation to be all we can be for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. The picture you get from this psalm is this. Uh, it's like an earthquake, a humongous earthquake where everything is in a state of upheaval. The mountains are shaking. Mountains normally are stable, but they're shaking. The, the ocean is roaring with gigantic waves and foaming. The earth is melting. Kingdoms are tottering. They're roaring against one, one another, and, and empires are falling. Everything around the person is falling apart. Everything that is normally stable that you can grab onto and say, this I can count on. Every this I can count on has failed you. But in the midst of this earthquake, or maybe you want to picture the towers of the World Trade Center crumbling down, in the midst of the chaos and the horror of all that's going on around you, I picture a person just still and at peace and tranquil. Everything around them is tumbling to the ground, but they have a peace. And this psalmist here is celebrating this peace. And he tells us why he can have this peace in the midst of this chaos. He says three things here. It comes out of Psalms 46, verses 4 and 5. He says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. He talks about a river in the Middle East, in the summertime, arid, arid conditions. A river is, is, is a, it represents everything that's refreshing, everything that is life-giving. You never want to wander too far from the river because you need water. So river represents a source of life and a source of refreshment. He talks about a river. He talks about a city, a refuge that is strong, that is unmovable. And he talks about why it's unmovable because he says it's the habitation of God. God himself dwells there and therefore it shall not be moved. And as he fixes his eyes upon the river and the city and God who's in the midst of the city, there's a peace amidst the storm that he's a part of. Now, in the New Testament, we find the same imagery. It's, it's beautiful and it's powerful. But the New Testament takes it even one step further. Because here we find out that the habitation of God and the river that is the source of, of God's life inside of us is, is dwelling within us. We are the habitation of God. And the river isn't something we go to. The river is something that is in us. Jesus says it like this in John chapter 7. He says, Let the one who believes in me... Drink. Are you thirsty? There's a place to drink. As the Scripture has said, out of the believer's heart, or innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water. Praise God. Now, he, now, he's, and now John explains this. Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in Him were to receive. Believer, you need to know this, that when you open your life to Jesus Christ, and you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ, and non-believers here, I, I'm saying this to you too, when, if you open your heart to Jesus Christ, and if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, God fills the vacuum that you create by opening yourself up. And what He fills it with is Himself. 
He doesn't just forgive you your sin and make you fit for heaven. He comes and dwells within you. God Himself comes and dwells within you. And at that moment, you become the habitation of God. You become a mighty fortress in God. And there's a river of life that flows in you. It's not just available to you, but it becomes part of your very being. The river of God's love and the river of God's blessing. And when you tap into that and when you uh, attend to that, there is a strength and a peace that comes to you that could never come to you in any other way. If you look at the mountains and if you look at the earth and if you look at the seas, you'll be filled with anxiety because mountains eventually shake, amen? And rivers sometimes rage and the earth eventually melts and kingdoms sometimes war against one another and empires, I don't care how stable, eventually fall to the ground and even buildings that you thought were invincible sometimes get attacked and crumble and even nations perhaps that you thought were invincible sometimes get penetrated and as long as your security is based on that, as long as your eyes are fixed on that, as long as that is defining your disposition, you're going to be filled with anxiety, you'll be filled with disquietude and maybe even despair. But what you need to know this morning, what all of us need to remember this morning is this. God never shakes. God never tumbles. God's, the water of God's life never rages. God's never at war with Himself. God can never be penetrated with the attack of the enemy. And here the Scripture says that God is in us, praise God. We are the habitation of God. You are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls you the temple of God. God Himself dwells within you. And the river of His life then flows in you and flows out of you. The river of His love flows in you and flows through you. The river of His peace and the river of His joy and the river of His blessing flows in you and then flows out of you. That is yours. It's part of what, it's part of what Jesus died to give us. It's part of our inheritance. It's part of our inheritance. The river flows. And even when the mountains shake, that river just keeps on flowing. Amen. Even when the earth melts, the river just keeps on flowing. And even when the kingdoms are warring against one another, that river just keeps on flowing. It's consistent. It's the steadfastness of God. It's the faithfulness of God. When war breaks out, the river is flowing. When chaos is all around you, you've got to know, believer, that river of life, the infinite reservoir of God's own being is flowing within you. And when the health begins to fail you and you uh, get the report about cancer, you've got to know that that river is still there. And when the family, you know, that fa- the family starts to get disrupted and maybe it's falling apart and maybe it's even come to an end and you've tried all you can do and it, and it just seems unrecoverable, you've got to know that that river is inside of you. And even when doubts may rack your mind, the river is going on. And even when sin abounds all around you, the river is going on. And even when terror is striking on every side, believe it, you've got to know that river is going on. And the river is Jesus Christ, praise God. The river is His love. The river is His presence. He's put it within us. We don't just go to it. He comes to us and He dwells within us. And in times of the raging seas, in times of the shaking mountains, in times of the falling kingdoms, in times of the war, believer, turned to that river of life that is inside of you. Recognize, remember, and dwell upon the fact that you are the habitation, the holy habitation of God. His presence dwells within you and has been shaken by all that's going on around you. This river is God Himself and it is God's own peace. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14. I love this passage. 
Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My, peace I leave with you. My peace. This is, this is what belongs to Him. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. Now, he's not talking to people who are living in Disney World. He's talking to people who are going to be fed to lions here in a little bit. But remember this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And don't let them be afraid. Why? Because my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. The world can give a kind of peace. It's the peace of the stability of that mountain. It's the peace of the security of, of those towers. It's the peace of the, the reliability of your health. It's the peace of the stability of the world. But see, the trouble is that mountains shake and seas roar and nations war against one another and empires crumble and health sometimes fails you and the stability of friends sometimes leaves you. Uh, All the this-you-can-count-ons of this world, they can give peace as long as they're there, but they're never there permanently. And so the peace that the world gives is a temporary kind of peace and it doesn't address your innermost being. What Jesus gives to the believer is, is his own peace. The peace that characterizes his own being. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, the peace of God, uh, that's a genitive. It means the peace that belongs to God. It's the peace that characterizes God. It's the peace that God owns, okay? The peace of God, peace of God himself, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Think about this. You know, God, God mourns. He does, the Bible tells us, He mourns. He grieves. He's some, sometimes when He's frustrated, uh, his, his heart breaks. Peace does not mean indifference. I'm not talking about some kind of stoic, you know, I'm above it all sort of a thing. That, that, that's the kind of peace the world gives. You have peace when you can block out the troubles of the world. But the peace of God is a peace in the midst of the problems and in the midst of the storm. God enters into the storm and He's got emotions. He's got emotions. He, he, he gets angry. He, he mourns. Uh, his heart breaks. But you've got to know this. He never bites his nails. He's never up there wringing his hands saying, Oh my, now what's going to happen there? He's got a peace. Uh, that, that, that perseveres throughout all time. He always has been. He always will be. And nothing can penetrate his innermost being. And so he's at peace. You need to understand that uh, this, this attack and this attra- atrocity, like all atrocities, it didn't need to happen and it shouldn't have happened. But it didn't catch God off guard. From all eternity, God's infinitely intelligent. He's known from all eternity his possibility, and he anticipates possibilities perfectly. He's got a plan in place to respond to this whole thing. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's the Lord of the world. He's exalted above all the nations. He's not fretting over this thing. He's not fighting his nails. He's not worried, what am I going to do now? He knows he can accomplish his, his plan, his agenda for creation of having a people unto himself. And now that, see, that peace... We can't comprehend it. We, we, we can't fathom it, which is why it passes all understanding. But even though you can't understand it, you can and you should enjoy it. He gives you the peace. He says, you don't know why I'm so peaceful, but I am. And now I want to give you my peace. Here, have a chunk of it. 
In fact, have all of it. And so inside of the believer, when your head is saying, man, I ought to be, I, I ought to be uh, anxious right now. I ought to be worried right now. I ought to be fretting right now. When your natural understanding is saying, uh, you know, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet here. I don't know uh, how I can have any peace in this world. You've got to know there's a river. And that river is peaceful. And the river has no beginning and the river has no end. And the river is undisturbed. And if you tap into that, you don't need to understand it. You can walk in it, praise God. It can permeate your being. It can saturate your being. And that peace that passes understanding is yours. It doesn't mean that you hide from the evils of the world. No. Precisely because you've got that peace. You've got a strength that can confront them because it doesn't hit your innermost being. When the, mountains, when the mountains shake, you've got to know that there's a peace that's bigger than the mountain. Amen? And when the oceans are raging, the waves are so high, you've got to know that there's a peace that, that, that passes every ocean. And when the cancer strikes, you've got to know there's a peace that's greater than the cancer. And when the family's blown apart, you've got to know there's a peace that's greater than, than even the family. And when the earth is melting, you've got to know there's a peace that's greater than this earth because it's rooted in God who's above the entire earth. And when the kingdoms are coming into conflict, when the nations are roaring with one another, and when empires are falling, even that you thought maybe were invincible, you've got to know that there's a peace that's greater than the kingdoms, a peace that's greater than the warfare, a peace that's greater than any trouble this world could ever send your way. Believer, attend to it, look into it, tap into it, and walk in it. It's the peace that passes all understanding. Praise God. The peace of God Himself. It's almost like someone would say, what's wrong with you? You act like you're God because you're just so at peace with stuff. And our response should be, well, I'm not God for sure. But God's peace is inside of me. God's peace is inside of me. It passes. And see, this is what guards. Paul says it guards our minds and it guards our heart. It protects it. It's a fortress. If you don't have that peace protecting your mind, you start to just get anxious and crazy and you think all these thoughts. If you don't have that peace that's guarding your heart, you start to get disturbed and maybe going into depression and despair about things. Let the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your heart. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 26. He says, here's the promise of the Lord. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in you. You will keep him. You will guard him. You will protect him. You'll establish him in perfect peace. Perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee. In the midst of this, look at it. We can't block this out of our minds. But our, our fixation, our obsession has got to be on the person of Jesus Christ. The Lord of lords and the King of kings, the God of all gods, who has no beginning, has no end, the God in whom there is no shadow of turning, praise God, Fix your eyes on the one who is steadfast. Fix your eyes on the one who is faithful. Fix your eyes on the one who is sovereign. And let his peace permeate your being. It may be that, that you're here this morning and you've never really, you know, your world's been pretty peaceful. You've had a lot of I can count ons that have, have held you up well. But this perhaps has rocked your world. Who would have thought a week ago that the World Trade Centers would crumble to the ground? You would have been thought an alarmist, a lunatic. Uh, now, maybe for the first time in your life, I don't know, you really begin to see that the I can count ons are few and far between, and ultimately there's none of them in this world. But even beyond that, I, I want to say this, and I, I'm not saying this to be alarmist, I'm just saying this to be real. I believe that the rockiness of the world is going to get worse before it gets better, and I'm not sure it's going to get much better until the Lord comes back. The world is simply a scary place. President Bush, this uh, yesterday in the paper, 
um, said this, and, and I appreciate his leadership. I, I admire, I, I appreciate the fact that he's called the nation to prayer, and uh, uh, not every president would have done that. I'd say we need, to, we need to be praying about this, and I appreciate that. But uh, he said in the paper, uh, he vows to rid evil out of the world. And that's a laudable cause. Part of the purpose of government, Romans 13 tells us, is to always be administering justice, even when you have to use the sword. That's, that's why God ordained governments to be there, to keep sin in check. But I'm afraid that he's not going to be able to deliver on this one. Uh, there's no government policy, there's no program that's going to rid the world of evil. Now, now we should pray for peace. We should hope for peace. And we pray that, that we can rid the world of terrorism as much as is possible and every other kind of evil. But see, the problem of evil in the world is not just the problem of this or that terrorist or this or that government or this or that agenda. It's the problem of the human heart. And, and government programs and all the military force in the world isn't going to cure that. The only one who can cure the human heart of the evil that resides within all of us is the person of Jesus Christ. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. You're not going to rid the world of evil by trying hard. You know, when they invented the cannon in the 16th century, they said this was the weapon to end all weapons. This was a, a, a virtually a gun that can shoot a 25-pound bullet. And surely this will, this will just be so horrifying, they thought, that no one will build weapons after this. We'll see how, how destructive it is. And World War II was supposed to be the war that was going to end all wars. But you know what? We keep building uh, bigger and, 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 and more uh, effective weapons of destruction, and wars continue on. See, the Bible tells us that this whole world is, is in a fallen state, and you can't cure it as much as we need to try, as much as governments need to be administering justice. The solution to the world's problems isn't found in government agencies. The world is, is, is a scary place. Consider this. As the technology increases, the world has become more intricate. It's become what's called a dynamic system. And a dynamic system is one where every part plays a, a more and more significant role. Here's one, one way of looking at it. Uh, uh, they say that information, the, the rate of information dissemination is doubling every three years. Information gets out faster and to more people it doubles every three years. The information is out there. And when information is out there, sooner or later, the wrong people find it. The Internet, for example, has been a blessing in a lot of ways, but it's been a curse in a lot of ways because a lot of kids are seeing stuff that kids and nobody should ever see. And information is getting in the hands of people that, should, that it shouldn't get into. We've been asking the question, some have asked the question, how did terrorists learn how to fly 757s? And it may be that in another 13 years, we'll be asking the question, how did terrorists ever learn how to build nuclear bombs? And for all we know, if the Lord tarries in another 30 years, we may be asking the question, how did terrorists ever learn how to clone themselves? Because we're going down that road too. Think about it. And I'm not trying to be alarmist. I'm just saying this. Uh, the, the prospects of, of ridding the world on our own power, with our own programs, with our own military, with our own ingenuity is very bleak. But to the Christian, this shouldn't be surprising at all. To the Christian, this shouldn't catch us off guard at all. We've always known, the Lord has told us, that mountains do shake. The Lord has told us that seas do roar with waves and they foam. The Lord has told us from the beginning that the world will melt. The Lord has told us from the, from the beginning that kingdoms will always war. As long as there's sin in the human heart, kingdoms are going to war. The Lord has told us from the beginning that every empire eventually falls to the ground. 
The Lord has told us from the, from the beginning that there's nothing in this world that is in and of itself invincible. And so this should not catch us as surprise. The Lord has told us from the beginning that this world period that we're in, this probational period where we decide how, we'll be born, how we will be born in eternity is a temporary period. And it's a fallen period. It's a groaning period. It's a travailing period. It should not catch us by surprise. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. He says, for the, for the creation, listen to this. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. That's the purpose of creation is to have these children of God, the bride of Christ. For the creation was subjected to futility. The word futility there means just decay. Everything decays. Everything. It's in a state of decay. There are no I can count ons that will eventually leave you and let you down. In hope that the creation itself will be set free, praise God, from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom. The whole creation will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. Saints of God, the, what we need to understand is that this whole creation right now is under bondage to, to the enemy. Uh, humanity went into a state of rebellion. We invited the enemy into our turf. It's become his turf, and it's been fallen ever since. And the entire creation, every, every aspect of creation, including nature, um, it's not as bad as it could be, but it's never as good as it could be. There, there's a, a pollutant effect of evil that permeates everything. The entire creation and human beings in creation, it groans in travail. It's not the way it should be. The entire creation is fallen. It's groaning as though in labor pains. Some people say, is this a sign of the times? Is this the sign of the end of the world? And I don't think it is in the sense that in the sense that you can find a prophecy about the World Trade Center in the book of Revelation someplace. It's not a sign of the times in that sense, but it is in this sense. When a woman's approaching birth, the contractions get harder and harder. When a woman's approaching birth, they get more and more frequent in between. And as we are in this groaning creation, we're, we're experiencing contractions. There's evil in the world. There's pain in the world. There's bloodshed in the world. And as we see this, it should always be a reminder that this world is not the stopping point. This world in its present uh, state is, is not what God intended it to be. And we're approaching, we're closing in on the goal that God has for creation. And the goal that God has for creation is the manifestation of the sons of God. The goal that God's always had from the very beginning is to have a people, is to have a bride who reflects His glory, who loves Him back, who loves each other the way that God is loved. And the entire creation is, is saying, let it happen, Lord. Uh, achieve your end. Achieve your objectives. Uh, this pain is not a pleasant thing. We want to get it over with. Paul says that there is laid up for me now, a uh, reserved for me now, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who longed for His appearing. We are to be, and, 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 and I'm a little conflicted on this, honestly, but the Bible says we're to be longing for His appearing. For His appearing. To the world, everything I just said about the decay, about the fall, about the end is very, very bad news because that's the only I can count on that you've had. If you're not a believer, this is the worst news possible. It's going to end. You're going to die. The world's going to end. All the nations are going to crumble, though every mountain's going to be rocked. Every sea is going to uh, be roaring with its waves. Every empire is eventually going to fall, and that's got to make you depressed. But for the believer, there's a hope that transcends every mountain. There's a hope that transcends every nation. There's a hope that transcends the world. His name is Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen. 
And see, I'm conflicted as Paul was conflicted. There's so much that needs to be done. There's people that need to hear about the Lord. There's, there's so much work to be done. I, I want to say, and even the Lord says, you know, I, I want to be patient. I want as many people as possible to come to know Him. But at the same time, in the core of my being, and it should be the core of all of our being, uh, this, this isn't bad news. We long for the Lord to come back. All who long for His appearing. We groan for His appearing. We groan for His kingdom, praise God. I don't know about you, but, but in the light of this week, I just am so tired of the bloodshed. I'm so tired of the evil. I am sick of, of, of the sorrow that goes on in this world. I am so grieved by what is done to children. I'm so grieved by the course that the country has been going in. I'm so grieved by the breakup of families all over the place. I'm so grieved by all the evil that is around. I long, I long for the Lord to bring out of the ruins of this creation His beautiful, magnificent, spotless, radiant bride that will love Him and reign with Him throughout eternity. We long for His appearance. We pray as they did in the early church. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Uh, achieve your goal that you've had here. We're tired of this war zone. We're tired of this war zone. Let me end by just giving you three little points to meditate on. Number one, believer, and I invite you non-believer here this morning. Number one, anchor your life in the one who never changes. There's only one thing in creation and one thing in all of existence that doesn't change, and that's the Lord. The Lord is the one stable thing. Anchor your life, your well-being, your security, your hope in the one who never changes. Number two, anchor your hope in the one who is returning. I, 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 we pray for peace here and now. We should. We pray for justice here and now. Uh, and we hope that we can put an end to or at least uh, check uh, the reign of terrorism. That's a noble thing. That's a noble thing. But our ultimate hope isn't in uh, President Bush's program. Our ultimate hope isn't in our ability to curb sin in this world. Our ultimate hope is in the person of Jesus Christ, who will someday come and complete the work that we ourselves right now are to be a part of and establish His kingdom where there'll be no more tears and there'll be no more sorrow and there'll be no more bloodshed and there'll be no more sin and there'll be no more tortured children and there'll be no more people being killed with bricks falling on their head from exploding buildings. His, then His kingdom will be set up his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and He shall reign in His love throughout eternity. That's your ultimate hope. Land on it. And let that be a source of peace and strength to you. And the third thing, the third thing is this. Live with a view towards that which never ends. Uh, where are you going to spend all your time? Where are you going to spend your money? When are you, where are you going to spend your energy? Most of the things that we have to do in life come to an end. But live with this awareness. Uh, what are you investing in? What are you putting your... Uh, what are you contributing to uh, in terms of, of how God's using you to that which never shakes, to that which never melts, to that which never roars, to that which never is destroyed by warfare, namely to eternal souls? Live with a view towards that which never ends. Your life can count for eternity. You may, he's given us the power to make a difference in eternity. Live with a view towards that, with an awareness towards that. And now I want to ask this question. Are... Are you ready? Are you ready? When the Lord comes back, the Bible says that it'll be like a thief in the night. It happens like this. And maybe that seems a little weird to you, but you know what? There wasn't a person in that tower on Tuesday morning who expected this to happen. And when it happens, boom, it happens. That's how life goes. No one expects to be in a fatal car crash. But it happens, and when it happens, it's like this. The entire creation is going to come to a close this way. And your life, forget creation, your life is going to come to a close perhaps this way. 
and you don't know when. And that's not alarmist. That's just real. Are you ready? Would every believer close their eyes and pray? And I want to extend this invitation here this morning. You know in your heart whether you're right with God or not. And the way to begin to get right with God and what reconciles you to God is putting your faith and trust in the sacrifice that Jesus Christ did for you. He loves you. He wants to live eternally with you. And the way you get that is just by saying, Lord, I want to receive you into my life. If you want to do that here this morning, would you just raise your hand real high? And I'm not going to call you up, but I just want to pray for you from up here. Raise your hand real high over there. I see a couple of hands. Wonderful in the back there. Thank you, brother. Just raise your hand real high. I want to pray for you. This is the time. Way in the back there. Praise God. Wonderful. And over there in the, in the, in the side. Thank you. Up here, brother. This is the time. This is, this is an opportunity to get it right for all eternity. And walk in that perfect peace that the Lord promises us. Anybody else? Raise your hand. It's very high. You see that hand? Over there? Yes. Over there. Praise God. All over the auditorium, you guys, there are people in the back there. People who are, are saying, yes, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The two people over there. Praise God. Anyone else? Just it's a little act between you and God. And you're saying, yes, I need Jesus Christ. Okay, we're going to pray this prayer. I, brother, I see that hand at the last minute there. And maybe you didn't have a chance to, but you can pray this prayer anyways. I'm going to lead you in, the, in a prayer. Believers prayed as a reaffirmation. And those who raised your hand or, or those who didn't but still want to get right with God, repeat this as a wedding vow. Let it come from your heart. I'll lead you in it, but let it come from your heart. We pray this way. Heavenly Father, I confess that you are sovereign, that you are Lord, that you are God, and that you are King. And I confess that I am a sinner in need of your grace. I cannot save myself. But I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sin. And so I ask you, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sin. Wash me. Cleanse me. And make me whole. I surrender all my life over to you. Thank you for loving me and for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. You committed your life to the Lord. I want to welcome you to the kingdom of God. I want to welcome you to the eternal kingdom. Praise God. Yes. Nothing but nothing but nothing delights the heart of God more than a person who surrenders and says, Take it, Lord. Take it, Lord. Now, I want to encourage you who committed your life to the Lord this morning. This is not the end. This isn't the resting point. You just took your first little baby step. There's a whole, whole, whole lot more that the Lord wants you to walk in and enjoy and grow in. The first thing to do now is at the end of the service, in the back of this auditorium, uh, uh, there'll be a person back there and we have some information that you really need to get started on your walk with God. I encourage you to take one minute and just pick up that information and get growing in your walk with the Lord. Praise God. And now we're going to worship the Lord. Amen. We worship the Lord when we ascribe to Him the worth that is due His name. He's worthy of all that we have, of all that we are and ever shall be. Amen. He's worthy in a time of peace, and He's worthy in a time of war. 
He's worthy when things are going good, and He's worthy when things are going, going bad. And so we're going to celebrate Him. We're going to tune all that we have uh, unto Him. Forget about everything else this morning. Focus on the Lord because that ascribes worth to Him. And let's enter into passionate worship and praise of the Lord. If the ushers would come forward, we'll start by worshiping the Lord with our offering. We, we ascribe worth to God and to the worth of His kingdom as we give back to Him a portion of what He's blessed us with. That's how the work of God goes forward. Please remain seated until Norm says it's, uh, that we can rise. And let's give the Lord all the glory that is due His name. So Holy Spirit, we now ask You to be here. Lord, minister peace as we worship You. Minister Your love and Your power and Your confidence as we worship You, Lord God. Draw our faces to Your face. Help us to look deeply into Your eyes. And be glorified in our midst this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.